it's funny how you can remember things that were a long, go, long ago, but it feels like it was not that long ago. Uh, for me, sixth grade, the first day of sixth grade was one of those days. If you know anything about sixth grade, which most people in here have been to sixth grade, so you kind of combine multiple elementary schools into one uh, middle school, and that's how it was for us. And so we had multiple schools leading into one middle school, and so there were a lot of people I didn't really know. And get new people, kind of new school, new teachers, all that's combining. And one day, not one day, the first day, after lunch, we would get recess. And I remember the first day of sixth grade, there was a guy named Zach Reffitt. Zach was 6'4 in sixth grade. He wore a size 14 shoe, and he seemed larger than life. He was, he was not just tall, he was, he was built. He looked like a football player. He looked like a high schooler among a bunch of elementary school students. That's kind of what Zach seemed like. And the strangest thing happened the first day of sixth grade, almost every boy in sixth grade followed him as he walked around at recess. I was one of them. But Zach um, seemed larger than life. He had a big mouth, but an even bigger attitude. Um, Zach, um, he was known, he had a reputation. His reputation was with the girls and um, with sports. And so people just followed. Zach around. The reason why I tell you that is because today we're going to be talking about a time when Jesus comes up to people and says, follow me. But when I think back of people following someone, the first image I get is this almost tail that Zach had as he walked all around the playground. Um, so that's what we're going to be talking about today. Jesus walks up to some fishermen. He says, follow me, and they leave everything and they follow him. We're going to be in the book of Matthew. If you've been around here, what we've been doing is there's in this place, Jesus gives this really long teaching called the Sermon on the Mount. And in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount, he teaches about prayer. He said, this is how you should pray. And so for several weeks, months, we've been talking about um, what it is that Jesus taught in the Lord's Prayer. And what we're going to do from now all the way until Christmas is we're going we're to go before the Sermon on the Mount. What are the things that happened before the Sermon on the Mount and through the book of Matthew? But what we're going to do is rather than starting at the beginning and moving forward, we're going to start in Matthew chapter 4 and we're each week going to go back. We're going to kind of go back in time until um, the time when Jesus is born. So today we'll be in Matthew chapter 4 verse 18 through 25. I've said this before, but I'll say it again. Um, the time when Jesus was alive on earth is recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're often called the Gospels. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke are often called the Synoptic Gospels because they're so similar. So while we'll be talking about Matthew, we'll be going to be filling in from other places to kind of get a, even a better picture of what it is that happens in this particular time by using Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 through 25. This is what... It says, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, being Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And he went through all Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, 
And they brought him all the sick and those afflicted with various diseases and pains, and those oppressed by demons, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Let's pray. God, um, I pray that the words that come from my mouth will be pleasing to you. Um, I pray that you will teach us, that you will um, meet us where we're at, and that today you will do something awesome in our hearts and in our minds. You're awesome, my precious name. Amen. So obviously in this text we meet Simon, who's Peter, Simon Peter, and his brother Andrew. We meet James and John, and we meet a guy by the name of Zebedee, which is the father of James and John. And we see Jesus. Jesus just kind of rolls up right as they're um, fishing. These fishermen are there. They're casting their nets, and some of the texts say that they're washing their nets. They're mending the nets. They had fished all night and caught nothing. And so I kind of try to put all four of those Gospels together, and I think what's going on is this, is they've fished all night, they haven't caught anything, and they're, they're frustrated, they're trying to figure out what went wrong. They're, this is a 100% commission job. You don't catch any fish, you don't make any money, you don't make any money, you don't eat. So they are probably frustrated. They're, they're there, and they had already heard at this point in time that John the Baptist was on the scene, he was baptizing people, and he was saying, repent for the kingdom of, of God is near. And it even says in John chapter 1 that Andrew was a follower of John. So, so Andrew had probably repented, had been baptized, had seen that the kingdom of God is coming. And then he had heard that Jesus said when he pointed to Jesus, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin. He had already probably heard that John the Baptist pointing to Jesus said, this is the one whose sandal I'm an unworthy to untie. Or, yeah, I'm unworthy to, to, to untie. And so what happens is this Jesus comes by and he says, follow me. And they're there fishing and they would have already known about Jesus' reputation. Jesus, in, in Luke chapter 4, it tells us that, that Jesus walked into a tent, to, the, to the synagogue and he said that I um, in the Messiah, I am the king in essence, because he says that he comes to give good news. He gives sight to the blind. He sets at liberty those who are oppressed. So Jesus would have had a reputation, even in Luke chapter 4, which would have happened before what, we're, what we read took place. And it says in 437, reports of Jesus went every place in the surrounding region. So Simon and Andrew and James and John would have known something about Jesus. But then this Jesus shows up and he says, follow me. And the craziest thing happens. They just leave everything and follow him. And I'm sure Jesus had a reputation, much probably like Zach did. He, I don't know if Jesus was 6'4 and weighed a size 14. Shoot, doesn't really tell us that. But Zach had a big mouth, but not in the same way that Jesus did. We already know through Scripture that people marveled at Jesus' words, that they were astonished at his teaching, and they said that his, his teaching possessed authority. So Jesus had this reputation. He seemed larger than life. He had a, a big mouth in a totally different way. And he also had a big attitude. But Zach, um, funny story, uh, Zach was in choir. I don't know why he was in choir. I think it was just that he could talk to the girls and stuff too. But he's in choir, and a teacher came because he was doing something he wasn't supposed to, which usually is what happened. And the teacher put his hand on his shoulder. And any time that happened, it went crazy. And he'd, get off of me, don't you ever touch me. And he had this huge attitude. 
But Jesus had a huge attitude, but in a totally different way. Jesus' attitude was being gentle and loving and kind and willing and caring and yet bold. So Jesus would have had this reputation. They would have known something about him. Big attitude, big mouth. And Jesus rolls up, and it says that he comes to them at the Sea of Galilee. And now, sometimes if you're reading through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it can get confusing because they'll call it the Sea of Galilee, the Lake of Gennesaret, the Sea of Tiberias. Sometimes in, in the Gospel or in the Old Testament, they'll call it Chinnereth. But all of those refer to the same place. And so Jesus shows up. He's at this place. It's the lowest freshwater lake in Israel, and it's, te- it's the second lowest lake in the world. It's 13 miles by 8 miles. So he shows up. This place would have been a huge center for fishing industry. There was roads that went by each spot. I read an article that said that there's at least 27 different species of fish. So this would have been like the place to fish. And there they are fishing. And Jesus comes up and says, follow me. Now, because James and John are fishing with Zebedee, their father. I wonder if Zebedee has had this business for a long time, and now he's brought his kids into it. And then in Luke chapter 5, we see that James and John and Peter and Andrew are partners in fishing. So it's kind of like, to me, maybe that this Zebedee has his own little family business, and his kids have brought in some of their friends to help fish. Jesus comes up, and... He says to them, remember, they've just been fishing all night. He says, go out to the deep and cast the nets down again. And they're probably like, are you kidding me? We're mending the nets. We're cleaning the nets. We're we're taking care of, okay, fine. At your word, we'll go back out. They go back out. And it says that they catch so many fish that their boat starts sinking. And so then they call to their friends, to their partners, James and John. James and John come out, and then there's so many fish that, again, the boat seems to sink. Two boats sinking because of that many fish. And at that point in time, Peter says, depart from me for I am a sinful man. This is when Jesus says, follow me. And it says that Peter, Andrew, James, and John leave everything. They leave their boat, they leave their gear, they leave their livelihood, their source of income, their job, their business, the family business. They leave what they knew, they leave what was comfortable. And If I'm honest, I can't fathom. Like for me, if, you know, the Keys, Grant and Kelly Keys are missionaries that the Greenhouse supports, and they um, got to a point where they really felt like God was calling them. They sold everything that they had, and then they moved. And that would be hard enough for me. But it doesn't say that they sold everything. They just left. So so picture this. Jesus helps them catch two, two boatfuls of fish, and they just leave. It kind of seems irresponsible. Like, sell that fish first, but, but they don't. And for a lot of us, I think, to leave things that are important to us would be super hard, but they just leave. I don't know if you're like me, but if it would have been me and Jesus shows up and he says, hey, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, I would have asked the following questions. How many vacation days do I get? What's the pay? Will there be air conditioning? Will you be providing coffee in the morning and at what time? What is the job description? Will we be getting food regularly? How will we be traveling? Will I be walking or will I be on a donkey? And does the donkey have heated seats? Like those would have been the things that I would have asked, but they don't ask that. They don't ask any of that. Jesus says, let's leave, follow me, and immediately they leave everything. 
They don't negotiate. They don't try to understand all the facts. They don't come up with a pros and cons list. For any of you nerds that do that, I'm just kidding, I do that too. But you pros and cons list, they don't do that. They simply follow. Jesus says, follow me, and they get up and they follow. From there, I, I, I was thinking about that that's not the case all the time. Jesus, even in, in Luke chapter 9, he comes up to a group of people and he says, follow me. And they say this, one of them says, Lord, first let me go bury my father. Doesn't seem like a bad request, does it? And then the next guy says, uh, let me say farewell first. But when Jesus says to Peter, to Andrew, to James, and John, follow me, they immediately get up and follow. There's no hesitation. And I was thinking about this, I was thinking, you know, I think hesitation is so often rooted in fear. What will it look like? Does he really know what he's doing? Is he really who he said he is? Does he really have my best in mind? They don't hesitate. They get up and they immediately go. You know, I think that so often what can happen, we can say things like, I will follow you when. You know, like it may be at, you're a little bit younger and you think, well, you know, when I, when I get my first real job and I'm not in school because in college there's always something to do, there's always something to write, there's always a paper to do. Same thing with high school, same thing with middle school. It's like, well, when I get a little bit older, I'll, I'll really follow Jesus. Sometimes I think it can be, you know, when I just get married, then it will be a better time and, you know, it won't just be me showing up to church by myself and, or it won't be me, like, so when I get married, it'll be better. And then we think when I have kids, it'll be better. It is not better when you have kids. It's not easier. I, I'm we got like 16 babies here last year, and all the parents could say, it's not easier to follow Jesus when you have a baby. And then we think, well, when the kids get a little bit older, it'll be a little bit easier. And then we think, well, when I retire, it'll be a little bit easier. And, when I, and we just keep on, but they immediately get up and follow Jesus. I know for me, it can often be that I negotiate. I want to understand all the facts. I want a pros and cons list before I'm really ready. I want to make excuses have you ever done this too? Like if God's calling you to give something up, you keep your focus on what you're losing and it makes it so much harder to lose those things. You know, like same type of thing. If you're driving and if you start looking to, to the left, what usually happens? You start driving to the left. And it's the same thing when, when, when Jesus calls us and he says, leave it and follow me. And if you have your eyes fixed on those things that you are leaving behind, you will never leave them behind. And I can tell you that that's true because I can see it in my own life. Because what I typically want to do, even when Jesus says, follow me, I want to make excuses. I want to, to negotiate. The other thing that I think is so crazy that they don't do is this, is Jesus says, follow me, and they just caught two boats full of fish. You know what I would have done? I would have been like, we just invented the fish finder. We're good. Jesus, show us where the lobster are. They're worth a little bit more money. Show us where all the crabs are so we can sell crab legs. Like, they don't do that. Where I think in my life, and my guess is maybe for you and your life, what can often happen is rather than Jesus saying, follow me, and we follow him, we start going our way, and we say, God, bless this. Bless it. And that's not at all what you see James and John and Peter and Andrew do. See, what happens in my life, oftentimes I can say, God, help me get the job that I want. Help me get more pay in my job. Help me to get a good grade on a test. Help me, and, and it's help me do what I want to do. It's not you show me what you want. This is what I want, bless it. 
rather than what, it is, what is it that you want for me? And if we think back to even last week when Josh preached, what he shared is, your kingdom come, your will be done. That is how we are to pray. But yet, so often, we aren't um, following, having left everything, walking beside him, asking him, we're asking him to bless my kingdom, bless my will, rather than us leaving everything and following him. And, and you can usually see that in your own life or in someone else's life, the second that suffering or trials come in. Because if you're following Jesus for simply what you can get out of that relationship, the second it gets hard, you're going to peace out. The second that it gets the trials that come in, it's like, man, this isn't worth it. And I can tell you, I have been there many a time. But what happens is you get to this crisis of belief, and you begin asking yourself this, if God really loved me, why would he allow this to happen? Rather than saying, if he's allowing this to happen, then he must understand something I don't, something that is going to benefit his kingdom and his will. I'm on board. And if you're like me, when Jesus says, follow me, we can make excuses. We can pros and cons list. We can want him to go with us our way rather than going with theirs. But they immediately leave everything. There's no negotiating. They're not trying to understand all the facts. They go. And as, as I was thinking this week, I was thinking, how and why are they able to leave everything? I mean, I can't, this sounds really weird, but I've had this Bible for, how long? Sarah wrote me a little, Sarah got it for me for my birthday, 2010. So I've had this Bible for just over nine years. It is, it, it looks really ratty. It's falling apart. The cover comes out. The maps are disposable. You can take them out, put them back in. It's, but this is one of the greatest things that helps me follow the Lord. However, if I lost this, I would freak out. We got like 40 more of them at our house. I have 74 versions of it on my phone, but yet if this was taken away from me, I'd have a hard time following Jesus. The very thing that is helping me follow Jesus, I have put more in this. But we do that with so many different things. I find it so odd. How, why were they able to leave everything? And I think it's because when Jesus said, follow me, they saw the value in him. When they, it reminds me of Matthew 13, 44, that where there's a guy, he says, a treasure in a field, and he sells everything he has so that he can buy that field. Also in 13, just after that, Jesus says, there's a merchant in search of fine pearls, and he finds a pearl that he thinks is so fantastic, he sells everything he has so he can buy that pearl. See, what happens is we have all these things that are of value, and the only way you get rid of something that is of value is when you find something that is of a greater value. Like, think about kids as they grow up. When you're, when you're really young, kids will have, like, their little binky. Is that what people call them? That's the most important thing. If, if you leave the house without it, you're toast. But then it come, becomes a blanket or um, what else, a, a stuffed animal. But as they get a little bit older, they don't really want that. Now they want the toy or the doll or the ball. And then as they get a little bit older, they want a phone or a video game system they get a little bit older, they want a relationship. A little bit older, they want a car. And not just like a crappy car. They want like a good car, and they want mom and dad to buy it for them. 
And then it becomes a little bit, they get a little bit older and they want a job that gives status and title or a house or a spouse or kids. Like we find these things that we want, we want things of greater value, but the only way that you overcome any of those things and the desire for those overtaking your life is if you find something that's of even greater value. The reason why I think that they immediately follow Jesus is because in Jesus, their search for something greater was over. It didn't matter anymore if they were the best fishermen that had the biggest boat, if they opened up the best seafood restaurant because they found something better. No longer does it matter if they have the best family business, if they could retire young, have the nicest clothes or the nicest stuff because they found something that was better. It didn't matter anymore about being important and having stuff because they found something better. They followed Jesus because Jesus was better than their dreams, he was better than their aspirations, better than their desires, better than their ambitions. If I am honest, I don't know if I'm there. But they leave everything to follow Jesus. How, why were they able to immediately leave everything they saw that Jesus was better? It reminds me of Philippians. In Philippians, Paul is speaking, and he says this in Philippians 3, verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as a loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He says that knowing, following Jesus is of surpassing value. It, 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 it is so high above every other thing that there is. Then he goes on, he says, For whose sake I have suffered all thing, the loss of all things, and I counted the things that I've lost as rubbish. He says, everything that I've lost in following Christ it's just, it's garbage. All that stuff that was so important to me that I place such high value in, it's garbage. Guess what? I'm not walking around with a binky in my pocket for me. That'd be pretty weird looking, wouldn't it? You grow out of those things when you find something of greater value. And for Peter and Andrew and James and John, when Jesus said, follow me, they saw something of greater value. That is how, that is why they left everything. Another thing that I think as I was reading this that I see is Jesus gave them what they searched the entire night for and couldn't get anything. He immediately gave to them by a word. Isn't that crazy? They searched all night, hour after hour, net cast after net cast, catching nothing. They sound like me as a fisherman. But then Jesus says, oh, try again. So much. And the thing is, is for so many of us, I think we spend our whole lives trying to get peace when Jesus has it. We spend our whole lives trying to get joy where it's right there in Christ. We've spent our whole lives trying to get comfort where we can be comfortable in the most uncomfortable situations because of Christ. We, find our, we spend our lives trying to be satisfied, and satisfaction comes from Jesus. We spend our lives seeking approval from other people, and approval from the God that created us is right there. I think that is why they left everything to follow him is because everything we deeply need, everything we truly want is found in Christ. He's the keys. By following him, you get off the treadmill of life. You get out of the rat race. By truly giving up everything and following Jesus, you get rid of slavery and, and receive freedom. I've already said that in my life, that's not totally what it looks like. 
I tend to want to negotiate or understand the facts, pros and cons list. I make excuses. I have my eyes on what I'm losing. I can ask him to go my way rather than me go his way. I can seek Jesus to fulfill my dreams and my plans. And when I do that, I got this, this image in my mind this week. So um, cross country. How many people know a little bit about cross country? In cross country, you wear these weird-looking shorts, and you wear this weird-looking tank top, and you run. Why? Because you're trying to run really fast. But imagine if you were in cross country, and you were wearing cargo pants just loaded full of stuff. You got a winter coat with just tons of stuff in your pockets. And then you got, got some ankle weights, some of those sweet 80s ankle weights and wrist weights, and you're wearing those and you're running. Guess what? Your time is not going to be nearly what it could have been because you have all these things weighing you down. And when I look at my life, and I'll be honest, when I look at people's life, all throughout, people who, who say that they're following Jesus, many of us, myself included, we look like a fool who's running with cargo pants full of stuff with a coat, all the pockets filled up. Ankle weights, wrist weights. We're trying to follow and we're not doing a very good job. And oftentimes it's because of the very things that are holding us back. Peter, James, John, they leave everything to follow him. I often wonder if we look more like a people who are standing on a fence. One foot with Jesus and one foot in this world. I can confess to you that it's often where I find myself. But Jesus says, follow me. They get up. They leave everything. Now, Jesus doesn't just say, follow me, because like that, that part, that's hard enough. But he says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And so I think that there's oftentimes when we begin following Jesus, we haven't really left everything we kind of are following Jesus, but we're keeping our, that thing in our pocket just in case. And then what also happens is Jesus says, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And so, so he, he, he calls us out of a life for ourselves and into a life to spread his name, to spread his fame. He calls us into a life where we begin to tell people that everyone can be saved, that Jesus died for the whole world, that he desires that all people will be saved. And that's what our life should be about. Our life should be about joining Jesus and telling that, that, that uh, he can set captives free. He can give liberty to the oppressed. He can give sight to the blind. That's what he's calling us into. But oftentimes, I think what happens is maybe we haven't left everything to follow him, but also maybe we have left everything, but we're not fishing for men. And what happens when we leave everything, but we aren't doing what he called us to? He doesn't just call us to stop doing that and go sit at a coffee shop and read your Bible all day. He calls you to follow and to make fisher, be a fisher of men to share who this Jesus is. And what happens when we're not really doing that, we can so quickly become bored. And what happens when you're bored? You begin to pick up those things that seemed important before. You begin spending time on things that have no lasting value. Whether it's Facebook or Instagram or Pinterest. Don't get me wrong, I, I don't do the Facebook thing, but I can, I can waste many a time, much of time on those other things. Or TV. Whatever it is, you know, we can stop, we can start following, but not living out what he has for us, and we quickly become bored, pick up all of these things. 
things that will slow us down, things that will weigh us down. But as I was reading this and thinking of this, I was also thinking that there's also new stages of life, right? Like, I mean, I started following Jesus in college, and man, it was, it was kind of easy. Like, yeah, this is great. This is awesome. And then I got married and had a, became a, a father, and, and like overnight, truly, longer story, but when that happened, it was like my head was spinning. Like, how do I do this? I know there's a lot of people here who has had a change of season of life, and it, it becomes hard to figure out how do I follow Jesus in this stage of life. I get that, but, but what happens is as life goes on, you, before you're married, you don't have to worry about that. But when you get married, you're like, now i got to really worry about this spouse. And then you have kids. i got to really worry about these kids. And so many things go on. And I think that what happens, even if at one point we said yes when Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, I think what can happen is we didn't drop everything at the very beginning. Another thing that can happen is we can slowly start to pick things up and put them in our pocket or even just the new stages of life. There are things that, that become more important to us than Jesus. Regardless of what it is that Jesus says, follow me, they immediately follow and I, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, you know, I think us following Jesus and leaving everything, it's much more of a process than what we think it is. Because I don't know if you're like me, but I feel like my journey in walking with the Lord has been as God exposing that I have this thing in my pocket and me being like, okay. And then a little bit later, hey, what do you got in your pocket? Like, nothing. You sure about that? And as he gently calls me, I realize, yeah, there is something in that pocket, and I drop it. And it continues on and on. And I think that us following the Lord is the process of us being willing to give up things, willing for them not to be the most important thing. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight in sin that clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. If you have come to a point where you've said, yes, Jesus, I'm following you. I'm going to you for, for uh, forgiveness of sins. I'm going to you to live for you and your kingdom and your will be done and you're, and you're walking and you're running. Chances are over time there have been weights that you have picked up things that are slowing you down. And so I want to ask a question. Can you think of a weight in your pocket that's slowing you down? Something that if God said, I want you to get rid of this, you'd say, well, I don't know about that. There's there something that seems impossible to lay down. Jesus says, follow me. I'm going to assume that there's two different types of people that are here today. There's one group of people who you're here because someone dragged you. Second group of people, you're here because you really want to follow Christ. So if you are here today and you are here because mostly somebody dragged you, much of the people who couldn't drive, that's probably the case. Your parents probably dragged you here, right? If that's the case, I want to just talk to you kind of like a friend for a minute. There was um, plenty of time where... Friends took me to church where I felt like I was just dragged along. And uh, what began to happen is at times when the pastor was talking, it felt like he was talking just to me. 
And it started making me like really feel like either he's stalking me and knows what's going on in my life and is speaking directly to it, or there's something much bigger going on that I don't quite understand. And so if you are here and you feel like you've been dragged along, I can tell you that as I sat there, having been drugged there, I started hearing things. Things that began to make me think. And I began to to, to hear that peace comes through Christ. Joy comes through Christ. And, and over time, I began to realize that I kind of like Peter, like James, like John, like Andrew. I was fishing all night, catching nothing. I'd come up with this way, I'm going to live my life, and this is how I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a lot of money, and that's going to be great, and I'm going to find the best girlfriend, and that's going to be great. And then those things wouldn't fulfill me. And so if you are here today and you have been just dragged along, there's chances are there'll be a time where the things that you think life is about, you'll realize they're not. It's not. And my hope and my prayer is in that moment, you will realize that there is something better. And it's Jesus. My hope is that you will hear the invitation of Christ saying, follow me. I will make you a fisher of men. I have a job for you. And if you are here today and you are someone who you say, I do, I really do want to follow Jesus, I want to ask a different question. Why are you following? Go back to my first day of sixth grade. Six, four, loud mouth, big attitude, Zach's walking around. All these sixth grade boys are following him. Why? Some of them I know were following because they felt like he was the key to their popularity. Some of them were following because he was the key to being in a good group of friends. There was all these people around him, so there's got to be, this would be the right place to be. There were some people who were probably following because he knew all the girls. Maybe because it helped them feel important. You know why I followed Zach? I'd love to say it was to try to help him. It wasn't. I followed Zach because he was 6'4". I played basketball. I know I don't look like it, but I did play basketball, and I wasn't terrible, but I thought, if I have Zach, I'll have the best teammate. I'll just throw the ball up. He'll just grab it and just dunk it. We'll win every game. But ultimately, I was following Zach for what I could get. And I think that what begins to happen the same thing can happen. Even if it starts off that your first, Jesus becomes your first love and you're following, over time what begins to happen is you start following him to be part of the right group, to feel important. Maybe for, you know, when you're in college, it can be, well, that's where the, girl, the girls go to church. I want one of them church girls. And so then you start going there. Same thing, you know, church boys, I don't go there. Maybe you following Jesus because you want to be on the winning team. Because you want heaven and you want an abundant life. And yes, he does do those things, but he's more than that. So I ask you, why is it that you're following Jesus? I don't know if you heard in the news this week, and I don't have the quote in front of me. I meant to, and it slipped my mind until right now. Um, Toby Mac, if you've heard of Toby Mac, was one of the singers in DC Talk way back in the day. But his son, 22, 21, just died. Very unexpected. And he, um, he was asked to make a statement. And in his statement, his statement was really cool. But in the statement, he said something like, I don't have any, like, 
backdoor deals with God. My relationship with him and me following him, it's not based on this backdoor deal that my life's going to be exactly the way that I want. I follow Jesus for who he is, not what he can give to me. And it was this really cool thing that was really convicting because I think so often we're following Jesus, maybe, but not necessarily for the right reasons. But these two, these four, excuse me, they, they leave everything and they follow. And I think that they get up and they follow Jesus, not because of what he could give them, but because they saw who he was, who he is. He's the Messiah. He's Jehovah Jireh, the one that can provide. He's Jehovah Rapha, the one who heals. He's Jehovah Shalom, the one that gives peace. He's the Alpha. He's the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He, they follow him because he is, he was, and he is to come. They follow him because he's worthy. They left everything to follow something better that had a greater purpose to give them life abundant, someone that had a better way. So again, I want to ask a question for me and for, for all of us. Is there something that you can say, in my relationship with the Lord, it is holding me back. It's weighing me down. It's preventing me from fishing. Is my desire for comfort weighing me down? Is my desire for money for status, for the American dream? Is there a specific relationship? Is it social media or is it just excuses? Is it TV? Is it food? Is it substances? Is it just a phone? Like, is there something that is holding you back that's weighing you down from you following Jesus? I would say that we all have one of those things. And it's probably different for all of us. But what I'm going to do for the next song that's played I want to challenge everybody. I was going to put paper out, totally forgot. I'm going to go get some paper, and I'm going to put a little bit on these white chairs and a little bit on these white chairs. I would challenge everybody to try to identify one thing and write it down. And don't leave here with it. So I'm going to put it on those spots, some pens, some paper. Maybe Sarah will do that for me. And then write it down. And then I would challenge you to crumble it up and just throw it somewhere around here. Throw it at Duke. Throw it anywhere around here. Specifically at Duke is fine, too. But my hope and my prayer is that just in the same way that Jesus said, Peter, Andrew, James, John, follow me. Leave it behind and follow me. Be, be fishers of men. My hope and my prayer is that we do the same thing. That we identify what it is that's weighing us down, that's slowing us down and we leave it behind. And we run the race with perseverance after the one who is better. Let's pray. God, um, man, we are so quick to find things of no value, and we place such tremendous value in those things. But God, I pray that today, even if it's something as profound as us putting so much worth in our job or in our kids, that you will help us to lay those things aside. Because even in your word, you tell us that we should hate our mother and father and hate our kids and our spouse and our brothers and sisters. But it's not you 
calling us to truly hate them. It's, it's you calling us to, to love you and desire you so much more than anything else that it is as if we hate those things compared to you. God, I pray that we would truly see you and your love and a relationship with you as of surpassing worth, that we would see the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. God, um, in the same way that the man said, I believe, but help my unbelief, God, we, we want to follow you, but help us to follow you. I pray for each of us that you will help us to identify those things that are holding us back from following you intimately and closely, and you will help us to start the process of throwing those things off, of laying aside the weight and laying aside the sin that so easily entangles us, and that you would help us to run the race with perseverance. In Jesus' name.